Again, we're in Matthew chapter 6. You want to be turning there. Linda has a bulletin. If there is an outline in there, you can follow along. And I've been asked on multiple occasions if I would um, have slides up. Um, and that sort of makes me nervous because I can't see what's behind me and it, I think about it. But I'm going to attempt and get better and learn and hopefully grow in this process. And so uh, there will also be some slides up there, a little more detailed than in the bulletin, we hope. I had read an interview recently, uh, an author, and, and the question was, how did you come up with your story? Where does that come from? And interestingly, he said, well, actually, it started with a map. I, I drew a map. It started with geography. I put in water and mountains and, and trees, and, and that began to direct the story. And I added creatures that inhabited those places, and then I drew in some towns and, and added some characters in those towns. And, and all of that began to build the story. That map was the foundation, so to speak, of the story that, that eventually evolved. We all are sort of like that because each of us grew up in a place or maybe several places if we moved around and the geography of where we lived and the culture in those towns or that church's story at least partially made you who you are today. Whether you grew up in a place where uh, fishing happened a lot or camping or hunting, whether you grew up with dirt and grass or concrete, whether it was really hot or really cold, all of those things sort of molded and shaped you into the person that you are. And some of us, when we got old enough, we, we looked at, at that place that we grew up and said, I cannot wait to get away. And some of us, as we began to grow up, we looked at that place and said, why do I have to go away? But most of us, there was a mix of good and bad. There were things that, that even now, looking back, some of us who are older, might long to return to, and there are things that we wish that we could forget. Parts of our story that impacted us and made us who we are today, Sometimes it's just kind of hard to, to shake, to get rid of. Our understanding of, of the way we look at the world, our worldview, so to speak, is very likely at least partially shaped by that little kingdom that we grew up in. And even now, the kingdom we find ourselves in today, our worldview is shaped by our experiences, people we come in contact with, the characters and the creatures that inhabit our, our world. The problem is, and you're well aware of this, that all of those characters, including you, are sinful. 
And so what ends up happening is our story that we're trying to shape and trying to mold very often if we're not careful ends up looking like a tragedy. We, we find that things really aren't in our control. We find that as much as I'm trying to write or rewrite or edit this story and make it fit the way I want it to fit, we find that there's trouble. There's pain. There's death. And, and you as the main character of your story, you know what? In our story, the main character always dies. <laughs> and along the way, lots of other main characters and supporting roles, they die as well. And the bad decisions that we make, they just kind of leave this wake of sin that spreads out. That's the condition we find ourselves in. That's the place where we all are. And hopefully longing that I want to I make this story better. I don't want it to be a, a tragedy. N.D. Wilson is, is an author and, and he says, if you think about yourself as the main character in a story, and if someone else was reading that story with a, a third-person omniscient narrator who could explain your thoughts and your actions in great detail, would anybody like you as the main character of your story? If we could publish what went through your head and how you made decisions and your actions, would you be a popular main character? Or would most folks want to just kind of close the book and move on to something a little more cheerful? All of our kingdoms are corrupt. And without intervention, things really will turn out poorly. But Jesus offered to change our story. And he did that by doing two things that are rather miraculous. Number one, instead of just looking over our shoulder and going, you know, why don't you change that and edit that and, and, and fix that part right there. He actually entered into our story. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh and blood and entered into our story. Of course, the problem is fairly early on we killed him off. But then the second miraculous thing happened. Despite the fact that fairly early on we killed him off, he invited us to realize that he's in the process of writing another more fuller, more wonderful story. And he offered us a solution. We can bring our story and ourselves to him. We need to think about that for just a moment because there's lots of implications to that. We can bring our story and ourselves to Him and in His mercy and in His wisdom and in His complete otherness from us, He finds a way to, to weave kind of what we've written into His larger narrative and it's no longer a tragedy. In Matthew 6, 
Jesus is, is really talking about that process. He's talking about prayer, as we talked about last week. He's, he's helping us lay a foundation for what it means, what it looks like for us to pray. So I want to go back and, and pick up the story where we left off last week. We talked about that there were really three things as he... Let me back up even farther. There were, there were two ideas that he said we need to avoid. There are two things we need to do wrong, that we do wrong. We often try to impress other people and we try to impress God by the way we pray. I'm either praying so that you notice me or because I'm just not convinced that God will notice me, I have to pray a certain way to get Him to hear or listen. And so there are these two wrong ways to pray, both of which we end up focusing on ourselves. I pray to impress you or I pray to impress God so that He'll listen. And here in Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, pray this way. And He gives us three things to think about. Three really characteristics of, of God to think about. Three right views of prayer. First, our Father. He's big enough to relate to. We don't need all these fancy words to come into His presence because Jesus spoke the only words that were necessary for us to come into His presence. It is finished. He's done what needed to be due. What needed to be done. Second, who art in heaven? He's big enough that we can trust in. We pray to the One who created and sustains the universe. We don't, we don't need anything else or anyone else. He is sufficient for our needs. Hallowed be Your name. He's set apart. He's completely different enough that we can reverence Him. He's holy. So we talked about those things last week. And that last part, hallowed be your name, really is a bridge between 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10. It's part of God's character, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's part of that. But it also goes with 10 because of the grammar and the language and the way that, that Jesus spoke that really doesn't come through. We don't see it very well in English. It's very poetic the language that he uses that ties in those three phrases. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Each of those phrases is just four simple words. A verb, an article, a noun, and a pronoun. In that order, all three of them. All three of those verbs are imperatives. In prayer language, they're like requests. Would you or may you do this? And they all rhyme in Greek. The third words are all nouns, and they all end in the same sound. And again, there's sort of this, this rhythm, this poetry involved of what Jesus is saying. And then the last word, as if He's making this, this punctuation is the pronoun, yours. Three times. Yours, talking to God. Yours, yours, yours. If we could lay it out in English, it, it, we don't do it that way because it sounds funny. We don't talk like this, but it would look like this. There's another slide, I think. Oop, keep going. 
So may it be hallowed, the name, yours. And then may it come, the kingdom, yours. May it be done, the will, yours. This cadence, this rhythm that not only rhymes, but there's at the end this punctuation of God, yours, yours, yours. The first three requests have nothing to do with us. And they are requests. They're, they're imperatives. They're like commands, but again, in prayer language, we, we make it nice. We don't want to be demanding to God, so we translate it may, and that's kind of the idea. But the very first things Jesus says we ask are things that don't relate to us at all, but to God. And so what does that mean? Well, First of all, it means that we need to recognize God as the main character of our story. We worship Him alone. We talked about that last week some. Hallowed be your name. See, if, if it's about us, I won't give up my pen and my paper. I want to keep writing my story. I want to make it work out. When I get the main character into a conundrum, I want to be able to, to write in how to fix it. if I'm the main character. But if God's the main character and the author of the story, wouldn't we do better to, to trust Him? If God is, is set apart, if God is holy, isn't He the one that we worship? Because when we're the main character, what ends up happening is we worship ourselves. You've read books, you've, you've seen movies, and there's, there are certain characters in those books and movies that you might identify with. And, and sometimes we, we enjoy a movie or a, a series of movies or a book or a series of books so much that we begin to identify with one or more of the characters. We might even begin to, to talk like them or use some of their phrases or act like them. We might begin to think like them or adopt their worldview at times. In short, we begin to idolize or, or worship them. And so the question is, is, is God the main character? Is He the one that we're going to emulate? Is He the one that we're going to worship? Remember, Jesus isn't just giving us words to pray. He's teaching us about prayer. He's teaching us what it means and, and what the foundation of that prayer is. And that foundation, the very first thing we need to know is we worship Him alone. He's the main character of our story, not us. But that's hard to wrap our minds around. What, is it, what does it really mean that God is holy, that He's set apart? As we talked about last week, there's not a lot that we treat that way in our culture especially. We don't have objects that, that we really set apart that way. Certainly not necessarily people. We're very utilitarian in our culture. We use things however they need to be used. And so what I think, because those three lines are parallel, I think each one plays off of and expands and relates and, and helps us to see a little more clearly what it means that He's holy. If God is the main character, if He's holy, if He's the one that we worship, then the second point with that second line is we need to accept the plot line that He has written into our story. We need to let His kingdom reign over our kingdom. We all have a kingdom. You have a kingdom. 
You have a worldview that you are trying to portray to other people. You have ways that you wished the world worked. And you really wish other people would see things your way. That happens. We do that. We're human. And the question is, with that prayer, your kingdom come, what we're really asking, what we should be asking, is God, I pray that your kingdom would reign over, would supersede my kingdom. I have one. I don't know about you, but I know that I have one. I know that I have ways that I wish the world worked. And a lot of times I really think that I'm right. I don't know about you. My guess is you probably have ways that you wish the world worked too. And maybe you figured out that sometimes you're wrong. A lot of times I still think I'm right. That idea of kingdom is this, is this reign, it's this influence, this order that's supposed to go on the world. And as we pray, are, are we allowing who God is to influence and order our world? Are we allowing Him to write our story? And that's not very fun because we sometimes think that He's writing things incorrectly. Rebecca and I were reading the other night and, and one of the main characters did something and we both kind of at the same time said, oh, he shouldn't do that. Right, there's this tension and, and we knew that if he does what the author had written in, we knew something bad was going to happen. He's going to get caught not where he's supposed to be. We both recognized he shouldn't write it that way. But good authors do things like that, make us nervous, introduce tension, and then find ways to work it out because they're good authors and they're sovereign over the story. They know the end. And so even though we think the middle is all messed up, the end really has been worked out. But oftentimes... I pray as though I want God to approve my way of doing things. Because His way of doing things surely can't be quite right. For example, in marriage, husbands are supposed to love our wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. In other words, being willing to die for them. Being willing to give everything for them. And I think, but, but if I do that consistently... God, there's really a good chance that my wife will take advantage of that. And so, would it be possible that I could, you know, manipulate the situations to get her to do what I want her to do, but still act like I love her? Would that work, God? Would, would that be okay? Am I going to pray that His kingdom would come or that I could manipulate my kingdom to look good? For you kids out there, the Bible's fairly clear, honor your father and your mother. Obey them, treat them with respect. But some of you have gotten to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of older and I've sort of begun to figure out life. And sometimes, you know, I'm convinced that my parents are wrong. You know, I, I understand what's right and they, they don't see it from the right perspective. They've gotten too old. They don't, have, they don't have my wisdom or my understanding. 
And so, and sometimes they just act like jerks anyway. So, it's probably okay, God, right? It's probably okay, God, if, if I don't do what they want me to do this time. And there's this, this, this kingdom that belongs to God. And the question is, will we pray, your kingdom come, or am I just trying to build my own kingdom? So do we recognize that God's the main character? Do we allow Him to write His own plot in our story? And then finally, do we accept all of His editing down to the last comma? Do we seek to do His will and not ours? Does that mean, though, that I... I'm not allowed to have wishes and wants? Does that mean that, that I can't ask God to change a situation? See, if we begin to think that, what we've done is we've, we've focused on this passage to the exclusion of the rest of the Bible where we see over and over and over again people making requests of God, personal requests. You read through the Psalms, God, would you please change the situation? Would you fix the issue with the oppressed? Would you bring justice? Would you save me? Would you get me out of the mess that I've made? Over and over and over again in Scripture, people make personal requests. So is, is Jesus contradicting that here? Or is He contradicting Himself? In the garden He says... Father, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. But then what undergirds all of those prayers in the Psalms and what undergirds what Jesus prayed in the garden was His next line, but not my will, but yours be done. And over and over in the Psalms, over and over again, there's these requests, these pleas, these what looks almost like at times these selfish petitions to God and then over and over again in the Psalms, they end with, but nevertheless, I will praise you. Even if you don't, I will serve you. Over and over again, there's this underlying understanding in the from the people of Scripture that regardless of how I feel and what I want, God, we trust that You are who You say You are and we want Your will to be done. Our Father, He is close enough to relate to. Who art in heaven, He is big enough to trust in. Hallowed be Your name. There's this God who is awesome and majestic and worthy of all of our praise. Your kingdom come. Will we allow His rule, His reign, His influence, His order to affect us? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Perfectly, joyfully, wonderfully. Will we follow that? We sang 
a song a minute ago. Oh, let's see. We tremble before your throne. That's true. He's holy. He's other. He is separate from us. All hearts prepare your room. How is that possible? How does that even make sense? This holy, majestic, wonderful God that we tremble before and yet somehow there's room for that, for Him to come and dwell with us as Father. That's the tension that we have to live in. Because as we said a couple of weeks or last week, those two ditches that we tend to fall in, the, the ditch of I'm so comfortable with God as my Father that He really has just become a cosmic Santa Claus and I've forgotten His holiness, or He's so holy and I'm so fearful that I know I have to behave right and act and say the right words and do the right thing, and I can't relate to it all. I'm just going through life scared. And are we keeping those two things in tension? We tremble before Your throne. All hearts prepare Your room. And so as we think about prayer this week, so think about our time as we spend with God this week. Regardless of what it is that you pray or ask for, what your requests are, what your petitions are, what your groanings are, how you wish that God would change things, are you aware that you are part of His story? Are you allowing Him to be the main character or do you still want to assert yourself? hard. I want to be important. I want people to like me. I want, I want to be the main character of the story. And so we have to wrestle with, is God going to be the main character? And then, if He is, do we really allow Him as also the author to write in whatever plot He wants to write? Not that we don't have petitions that He, that, that he would do things differently. And I don't like the way you're writing things right now. Nevertheless, I will trust you that you know the end and that this is a means to get there. And then, do we allow Him to make whatever minute changes He wants to make? Do we follow the script? In other words, His will be done. Or do we think that this is a good time to ad-lib right now? This, this is a good time to to write in something extra that, that he probably forgot. He probably, he probably, when he laid down those rules and that order, he probably didn't think about my situation, so it's probably okay for me to write in something different. And the question is, do we believe that he's big enough to know your situation? And that's hard. That's difficult. My encouragement to you this week is you spend time in prayer. Will you think about who is writing your story. As we pray, would you keep those words in your mind? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we do submit ourselves to You even though it's hard. Father, I confess that I want 
you to do things my way a lot of the time. Father, help us, help me, help us individually and collectively as a body to trust that you actually have written in an acceptable, not just acceptable, but wonderful ending to all our stories. Good and just and right. Father, we need your help by the power of your Spirit to change us. We need to be changed. Help us to put down the pencil this week and trust in you. To rejoice in what you're doing. To be thankful that we get to play a part in the story that you're writing and that there are other people in this community, in this county, people who come across that you want to have enter into that story and you like for our character to meet them and introduce them to you. Help us to be mindful of that as we go through our week. Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us and for your abundant grace. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And you are dismissed.